this is uh, Dr. Vota. And Brittany. And Brittany. Uh, this is episode number six, maybe. Uh, Why aren't you looking at me? We're not set up in a oh, very here. good position oh, to like okay, have on, a conversation. Sorry for the noise, everyone. <laughs> Why did we not think about this as we were setting up? I don't know. But you're right. That's a good point. Okay. Now we're finally facing each other. Yeah. Your office is in a bit of disarray. My office is in a bit of disarray, but... Uh, we Which have... I'm surprised that you disarrayed it so early. I know. Because I know, like, so you're you're waiting on a desk. I am waiting on a desk. Which means that your office has to look the way it looks. And we'll be glad that the listeners can't see it. Well, they will be able to mm. soon when we start, you know, doing video with this to go along with it. But yeah. But I don't know how you can have your office in like this. It would drive me crazy. And it is driving me crazy. I'm not going to lie. But fortunately, and you work in here. You I, still work in here every day. And it's it's just craziness. Well, have you noticed I covered up the mess with blankets? Yeah, but I thought that was so that other people don't see it. Not so that you don't see it. That is true. Yeah. So I do therapy. That's a that's a thing I do. Um, <laughs> that makes it sound like you go to therapy. That does make it sound like I go to therapy. Which everybody should. Yeah. I mean, if you need it. I'm not going to tell people they need therapy. It's very gaslighty. But okay. it's a great it's a great resource for people that need it. But I provide therapy as a psychologist, and you do therapy. I do the therapy, and so um, sometimes I work from my office. But more recently, I've just been working out of the house. And my office is interesting because I have like lots of guitars on the wall, or had lots of guitars on the wall. Um, lots of music equipment, sound equipment, things like that. I'm a, I'm a your, musician. Your office is really a multi-purpose space. It is. It's definitely not a therapy space in the sense that it's not like calm and there's nothing in there that's necessarily like, you know, therapeutically detrimental. Um, but still there's enough here where if I'm seeing people and they're seeing me and they're seeing the stuff behind me, it's just it's just not beneficial. So I've been in the middle of kind of reorganizing. I'm going to put like a wood wall behind me, um, have all the music stuff on the other side of the camera so people can't see that. And actually I can do therapy, but then at the same time I can do podcasts and things like this with you. So that's the uh, that's the goal. Though I kind of like the seated, not on the couch setup that we have going on today. It feels a little more like personal. Now, I mean, now that you're facing me before you were just looking at the computer, I don't know what you were looking at, but you were you were talking to someone and then someone wasn't me. You're right. But now I, you're talking to me. I was just facing the because screen. I complained about it. And what's interesting about that is that was totally normal to me to talk not facing you but to talk to no like here's the thing. If you're like on the Zoom Facing the computer makes sense. Sure. But you weren't on Zoom. You were just literally talking at the computer. But that's the thing is I'm I think maybe I am so acculturated mm. to talking to people um, through a screen that that just seems but normal you, for me. But like, you can usually see the person on the screen. There was no person on the screen. Not even your screensaver is on the screen. Well, to be fair, even when there's a person on the screen, I'm not really always looking at them. Oh, I believe that. I've seen you in, like, when you and I have both been on the same Zoom call with, like, other people, the amount of not looking that you do <laughs> at the screen is actually crazy. So here's the thing. The amount of not looking that you do makes it even more weird that you would look at the screen to talk to me while we try to podcast because you don't even look at the screen when you're in a Zoom meeting. These are all valid points. Yes. I have a lot of shame. You should. <laughs> 
you should. Maybe you should go to therapy about it. Anyway, so I provide I provide the therapy. I do the therapy. My training is as a psychologist. And today we're going to take kind of a different twist. Um, while certainly we want the podcast to stay queer-centric, queer-relative, one of the things that keeps coming up is mental health. Which is very queer-relative. It is. And that it applies to... Mental health applies to everyone. We're not trying to sugarcoat it. Um, everyone should have have a positive and good mental health. Um, and access to appropriate mental health support and care. When needed, as needed. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting for it's interesting how much we talk about the politics or what's going on in the news. And and I'm not a doctor of political science. Um, you are a doctor though. It's true. Uh, I know a lot about politics because of my background, um, running campaigns, um, running report, running, uh, political parties, uh, in various just very rounds. connected to the news and you just are able to consume information like that. <clears throat> it's true. I'm kind of a news hound, news hound. Yeah. Much more than me. So with that being said, Britt, you were talking, um, you thought maybe we should talk more about mental health and things that kind of, not necessarily queer-centered, but queer-adjacent, related in that sense, and just kind of mental health and wellness and why that's important. So why don't you kind of give us some background on where you want to go with this? I think it ties into the kind of why we are pivoting this week a little bit, is that the narrative that is happening right now around queer people, you know, specifically like trans individuals, it's a lot of like, you know, lather, rinse, repeat, same news, different state, different city, different politician. And none of it's really super great. Um, you know, so we could beat a dead horse, but we don't want to do that. Um, but it's interesting because as we're thinking about mental health, you know, I think that's, so tied to like the queer and the LGBT community, because I think a lot of times people in this community get stigmatized yeah. as having worse mental health than other people. There is a, there is kind of a and I would say it's factual that there is a greater preponderance of mental health issues amongst the queer population. But the way that it's presented is like, oh, if you're gay, then you must also have depression because you're gay. And I think that there's so much going on in the world right now that if you fall into a marginalized community, like I would I'd put money on you having depression. Yeah, (laughs) because like the outside world is kind of garbage right now. Yeah. And so it's it's so interesting to hear these things that are you know, being used against the community as ways in which, you know, we are less valid because, oh, if you're, you know, trans and you're more likely to have depression, well, it's because you're trans. And if you weren't trans, you wouldn't have depression because all these other non-trans people don't have depression. But that's not what you're hearing. That, That That's right. I mean, that that does come back to this. It's a chicken and egg thing in some people's minds, not in queer people's minds, but in some people's minds where. They look at these numbers, and this is why I hate talking about negative statistics, specifically about the transgender community and mental health, because I think it arms the opposition with data that they will not tease apart to understand the minutia and what's actually being communicated. It's surface level data. Yeah. And it's it's 
only analyzed from a specific perspective. And the thing about data is you'll use it to strengthen your own position, whatever your own position is. And so when you see things like 45, 50% of the trans community has considered or attempted suicide, you say, oh, well, this is this, this community is sick. There's something wrong with them that this many people would consider suicide. The problem is that's in direct opposition to how they've been treated and how they've been, you know, abused essentially by people over the years. It's not that they're inherently more depressed. It's that that is the typical marginalized response. The, the community that is marginalized, their response to oppression. Yeah, it very much so sounds like if there is something in you physiologically that makes you gay, then that same something makes you depressed or suicidal that's what or they, anxious. So here, here's where there's some truth in that. And that's definitely an argument of some people right now um, that there is there's there's a mental health issue going on and that's unrelated to their behavior towards the marginalized community. So there is there is a different aspect of that as well. And maybe it's so maybe it's um, societal based. So people that are trans do experience greater depression. Um and that comes to back to body image. That comes back to um, really it's body dysmorphia or body. But it's still not necessarily. But it's still not necessarily a physiological thing. Like when we talk about depression, it boils down to, you know, especially in terms of like treating depression. Right. There's a chemical imbalance in your brain. So you take you know, whatever drug SSRI or whatever that's right. supposed to help fix that balance. But I think so many times a lot of these mental health issues that are being experienced by marginalized communities do not necessarily stem from that physiological place. Yeah. And I, th I think now that you even say that I, I start to analyze my own assessment that, you know, young trans children, um, whose body doesn't align with their own mental image, that mental image came from society. That yes. mental image came from, um, you're supposed to look this way, you're supposed to talk this way, walk this way, act this way. And it's only when they develop that awareness of incongruence that, that then it starts to be this kind of like unmet need that eventually turns into a depression. Yes, and I would say that the incongruence Plus the inability maybe to make changes. Yeah. Because I think for, you know, those who maybe have been able to transition, they've experienced a lot less depression yeah. than some who haven't. No, and, and that's one way I think we can hammer home over and over again. People who have ex completed transition overwhelmingly, objectively, have greater quality of life, less mental health issues and so on. Yeah. So it's it's so interesting, though, because I think from if you were to go seek treatment for mental health you the the perspective that it comes from is a let's medicate this perspective you know and how do we get it so that you can fit better into this box yeah and that works if you have a chemical imbalance they're still trying to fit you into the box you know and certain mental health things are just debilitating and you don't want to be outside of the box. You want to be in the box. So a classic example of this to stray a little bit away from queer is ADD or ADHD. Um, 
and I have my own opinion about this, which apparently I'm really in the mood to share. Apparently. Uh, let's understand what ADD is. Or, and when I was growing up, there was ADD. Well, are you calling it? Oh, you're going back into the backstory? I'm going into the backstory a little okay, bit. Okay, because I wasn't sure. Go ahead. So um, when I was growing up, there was AD, ADD. Back in the day. Back in the day. Um, which was Wednesday. And I was first diagnosed with ADD when I think I was like 11 or 12. Which would have been a long time ago. It was still the eighties, I think, or early, very, very, very early nineties. And when I was diagnosed, there was ADD and then there was ADHD and HD represented that kind of hyper, hyperactive off the walls, tons of energy where I was more of the, um, zoning out in my own world and not actively participating in things kind inattentive, inattentive. That's the word. Thank you for helping me with that word. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm sure you just couldn't think of it because you were being inattentive. <laughs> just like snap. I tried really hard for that joke. It worked though. I mean, did it? It was it was a long walk. So. Yeah, it was. I wanted to get my steps. <laughs> so, um, so there was there was ADD, and then later they actually changed the diagnosis to ADHD, um, hyperactive or inattentive, which is dumb because why did you put the H in there if you were going to say hyperactive any afterwards? Anyways. I digress. Well, I think it feels more substantial. Has one extra letter. Like if you were, if it was a tangible object, I feel like the ADD is kind of like a little floaty, but like the ADHD just sits well in your hand. And I don't even want to know what sort of mental disorder I have to be able to visualize what words feel like. So continue. So back on point. Um, ADD is commonly medicated. And if I'm being honest, there's... Are we calling it ADD or ADHD? I am calling it ADD. Okay. I'm calling it ADD. Okay. From now on, it's, pro- it's pronounced ADD. Oh, gosh. Anyways, um, there are lots of tests to figure out if someone has ADD. And the tests usually go along with, with um, reports that you get to school teachers and things like that. And we'll talk more about schools here in a minute, but... Um, oh, will we? Generally speaking, most psychologists know when someone walks in the room if they have ADD or not. It really is very much a easy easy to perceive um, condition, which is also why the best way to tell, and this is not my official medical advice, this is not my official psychologist advice, um, it's just kind of a dirty secret of the industry. The quickest way to find out if someone has ADD is you give them ADD medication. And if they respond with increased focus, increased attention, they had ADD. And if they don't, they didn't. Um, that's really kind of the quickest way to get there. But do people actually do that? Yes, all the time. Then that's, I, I, I can think of a dozen psychiatrists off the top of my head who are like, well, let's try it. Let's, you know, here's the ADD meds and see how it works. And if it works, oh, cool, you had ADD. And if it doesn't, oh, cool, stop taking that. Hmm. The medications by themselves, they're stimulants. So I don't want to under, overestimate that or under underestimate them, but they are fairly benign where if you don't have ADD and you take an ADD medication, you might have a racing heart rate for, again, not my official medical um, We are not those kinds of doctors. Um, well, I'm licensed. So I, I, I yeah, would, but we're not medical doctors. So like. E- either, either way, it's, it's a generally benign reaction to that medication if you don't have ADD. So, um. Here's my thoughts on ADD and ADHD. And you talk about fitting in a box. And I think that is such a great analogy. Um, whenever I describe ADD to people, I tell them humanity has existed for 
you know, either 7,000 years or 4 billion years, depending on whatever your belief or value set is. Either one helps this be true. It's only in the past 150, maybe 200 years that we decided kids needed to not be outside during the day, that they needed to sit at a desk. And it's really only been in maybe like the last 50 or 60 years that we said, not only do you need to sit in a desk, you need to sit in a desk for eight hours a day. And then you need to go home and do three plus hours of homework. Every year leading up to that 150, 50 years ago, kids have been outside. We have been hunters, gatherers, farmers, sailors. We engaged in physical activity outside. It's only when... Um, schools got tired of dealing with kids who weren't fitting into the box. Did we decide as a species, you know what? Let's call them disordered. Let's say there's something wrong with them, even though historically their behavior would have been perfectly appropriate. Though I think that just to tangent, I feel like the box extends everywhere. Like there is just such a, level of this is how society operates right you go to work and if you're working you know an office job like you're expected to sit at your computer you're expected to be a certain amount of productive yep you know you're expected to get a certain amount done you're expected to take the whole day to get that certain amount done um and not necessarily that it's in such a quota type fashion you know but if you were to give someone in an office job you know, a stack of work. And if someone gets it done in three hours and someone gets it done in eight hours, you're looking at the person in eight hours who's going, well, why'd you take so long? This can clearly be done in three hours. And because we're very productivity mindset. And I think school is preparing people for that workplace. I've yet to meet the person with ADD when given a chance to do something they love as their profession needed additional medication to do so. Um, ultimately, you know, they found their thing. They're really good at it. That enough stimulates their mind and hormones and different things that are going on inside their body that said, I want to be doing this. Here's the thing about ADD, people with ADD and ADHD, they can focus on what they want to focus on. It's what they have to focus on or have to do. That's where complications come up. So again, though, here's a group of people that didn't fit into our box And therefore, we called them disordered instead of saying, well, the system that thought this was a good idea to make someone who'd be an incredible lumberjack or an incredible farmer um, sit at a desk and enter in numbers. But is this now also, too, on the rise of, you know, I mean, here's the thing. The pharmaceutical industry has only grown since the past. I mean, and it continues to grow. There's no, I don't, I don't know when there has been a lull for pharmaceuticals, when there has been a lull for um, mental health drugs. I don't know what to call them. Right. We have hundreds of different antidepressants now. Yes. We, we okay. Um, at some point in time, we have to wonder, like, how did we survive as a species before we had all these antidepressants? So again, it's ultimately saying there, there, it is society that is disordered. It is society that created these structures where humans aren't naturally 
supposed to function. We forget kind of our mammalian instincts. Like for me, I, I, I worked in the creative field for a long time. And so I didn't take medication for my ADD because it just, it hampered my creativity. But when it came time to write, and when I was off my medication, um, I always had to triple check my emails before I sent them. That's one of the reasons to this day I'll spend like hours going over an email I've sent or I'm about to send because I'm so terrified it's going to come across as just garbage. And I still forget words. I, 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 like, I, I think a sentence in my mind, but it never actually made it into the email. So I kind of obsess over that a little bit. But when it came time to write reports or do client presentations or God forbid taxes, no, I'm absolutely back on my medication for that because there's no way I would have the accuracy without it. So again, it's... And how dare society make us do taxes? Huh. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I love you, IRS. Um, so you're, you're... Yeah, please don't audit me. That can is empty. I know, but G I'm thirsty. Give me the can. Okay, it's empty. I can't can. keep watching you try to drink nothing from this can. Okay, well, there's still a little bit in there, so be careful. I don't, th I don't think evil eyes anyway. So we're talking back, back, back in the box. You were talking <laughs> about ADD. Um, what's kind of your own experience with that? Well, here's the thing. Oh God. You need to start your own podcast oh, and it needs to be called. Here's the thing. I, ha so just, just so that the listeners know, I have some catchphrases and one of them is here's the thing. Which usually comes with like a hand gesture of some sort. Usually a finger pointing up. At you, as I point my finger. <laughs> um, and I say this quite often. And I was having a conversation with one of my friends. And she had brought up how like, she says, you know, a certain phrase a lot. And I was like, oh, I have one of those. My girlfriend makes fun of me all the time for it. And I told her what it was. That was a mistake. Because now every time I say it, she points it out. Which is a lot. And I, I said it, I said it the other day and it was a, it was a Monday morning and I said it and she was like, here's the thing. I got so excited that I said it and I was just like, oh man, you remember. <laughs> so that's just the tangent. Um, but here's the thing <laughs> is that I really, <laughs> I struggle with. I can't with um, having this conversation because okay, of my catchphrase. Here's the thing. No, but here's the thing: is um, I feel like mental health is so contrived. Okay. Because a lot of what I think our mental health experiences are external to us, you know, and so like absolutely, I've struggled with depression. And I have noticed absolutely that when I am more depressed, it's when I've got more things going on, more craziness, more stressors. Like, it makes sense. Um, and, of course, I have anxiety. You know? Like, look, like it's just it's craziness out there. And I've always just kind of taken these things as, like, they're environmental. There's There's things I can do to tackle this, to make this better, to, you know, just kind of get through. And I don't want to rely on the pharmaceutical company because I feel like so much of it is, you know, I want to have my own autonomy. I want to make my own decisions, but there are so many other external factors that medication does not take into account for. 
And so this has kind of been my um, philosophy. Resistance. No, it's been my philosophy. Okay. And, you know, I, I, I work with it in the way that I try to work with it. Because I feel like it's just so much more than I feel like medication is like a Band-Aid, you know, and it's like I want to do the work on myself. If I have depression, like let's work through it. I want to make my anxiety better. Like let's work through it, you know, and I'm doing all of those things. I feel like right now I'm in a very um, I don't know. I'm in my like self-help chapter of life. Maybe (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) but I'm doing the work, Um, you know, and it's it's very interesting as I'm doing the work. And this is how you know you're doing the work is because I don't feel like the same person now that I was a couple months ago. Um, But this interesting thing has come up. And now you know my whole philosophy on medication. But it got to a point where as I'm doing the work and I'm peeling away the layers, right? I'm an onion. And I just think of the Shrek reference where Shrek is like, ogres have onions and donkeys like, no, no, no. And he goes, they have layers. And Donkey's like, cakes have layers. And he Shrek is like, no, 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 we're onions. So I'm an onion. Um, and you're looking at me like you have no idea where I'm going, but I'm going somewhere. <laughs> I just can't stop thinking about Shrek and like, not my drum drops. Oh, that's the best part. Okay. Um, but so it's interesting because in, lives on Drury Lane? <laughs> in the process of doing the work, it has come to my attention And I can't, I wish I could explain the feeling because I can't, but I I only have what I know. But so it's come to my attention that perhaps, perhaps I have ADHD and I I have to take this lightly because there's a part of me that can understand like, oh, you know, maybe technology has increased the lack of focus that people have. And, you know, everybody on social media has something wrong with them nowadays. Right. So there's a lot of outside influence. Aside from the fact that they're on social media all the time. What? It's it's something that if people got off social media, they might actually feel better. Perhaps. Yes. Digress. Anyways. But so there's, I mean, there's a lot of empowerment right now on social media, which is kind of nice because it makes mental health more accessible for (coughs) a lot of people. I'm sorry. I heard empowerment. I started laughing. (coughs) Empowerment or self-diagnosing? Both. Okay. Both. Both. Okay. There's there's a spectrum. Okay. okay? Spectrum. Careful. But forward. but it's I think that there's as much as you want to shit on social media, I and I can acknowledge that social media is not all great. I think that there's some really beneficial things that come from it. Okay. And you have to be able to really separate <coughs> What's beneficial and what's garbage. Yeah. Which people can't do. It's hard. And that's the problem. It's hard because it's presented as fact. But when you can separate it, like you have access to community now that you never had, you may never have had before, which is, of course, great for like the queer community. And as we're talking about mental illness, like yeah. that's so important to be able to see other people who have similar experiences. So, again, I have a million reasons as to why I do not have ADHD. Okay. Okay. A million, a million reasons. And then? Um, so... I was like, all right, there's, there have a lot going on. I'm doing the work. I'm in the middle of the work. I hope I'm in the middle of the work. I don't know. I might still be in the beginning. I'm a little worried about that. <laughs> um, but I'm in the work. I'm effectively in the work. Like we are swimming in the deep end of the pool at this point. And I'm just, as you do the work, it's exhausting. And I'm like, all right, I would like to be functioning, you know, closer to like, what what I would consider to be normal functioning, right? I'd like to be somewhere between 80 and 100%. And these numbers don't matter. They're just an example, okay? 
And I felt like I was at like 30 or 40 percent. And I'm, I kept waiting. I'm like, okay, I'm doing the work. There'll be ebbs and flows. I'm just in an ebb. Yeah. Like, I'll come back up. And I wasn't coming back up. And I was like, hmm, I feel like I should be coming back up. Emotionally, I feel like I should be flowing. Right? I should be like, you know, coming up, crest right to the top. Yeah. yeah. And I was stuck in the ebb. And I was like, maybe, maybe there's something else wrong here that we have uncovered. Um and so I was like, well, maybe, maybe it's ADHD. This could, this could be a thing. And so impulsively. Where did you come up with the, maybe it's ADHD thing? I feel like that has a very long backstory. Okay. We'll save that one for another episode. Yes. But, I mean, we can do a whole deep dive so, into this. Long story short, you, you feel like, I wonder if I have ADHD. Yes. Okay. Yes. I had enough evidence to say that this could be a valid thing. Okay. Okay. So impulsively, as one with ADHD might do, <laughs> I was like, I'm a, I'm a, I, I want to, of course, I'm in the middle of the work. I want to do the work. I'm like motivated to do the work. And I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. So I called and made an appointment with a psychiatrist. Two month wait. I can't wait two months. I just can't. I'm sorry. Like You're way too impulsive for I'm, that. I'm doing the work here. Okay. I can't wait two months. Yeah. No. So I found another one <laughs> outside of my insurance. And it's like, it's fine. Is cool. I'm just going to do this. And so I go. It's very anticlimactic. And very anticlimactic. And much more simple of a process than I thought it was. And maybe the process is more simple. But maybe also there are practitioners who do a screening and are like, hey, maybe you have it. Let's try drugs. Um, yeah. So it could have been that. There were lots of questions asked. But they also felt like they were very easy to answer. And if I wanted to get drugs, I could have. But we call that med seeking. Yes. And I just I wanted answers, although, you know, if the answers were the answers that I thought they were, then I might want the drugs. So I felt like either way, I'm in this weird position of like looking for drugs, which is not me. Very not me. Um, So he's like, yeah, sounds like you have it. Here's a prescription. Good luck finding it. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about the Adderall shortage right now. Yes. So. Long story short, I got access to some. And for the first time, I took it. And like, it, well, here's the thing. My data sample is very small. It's one day. Here's the thing. I know. Here's the thing. Okay. And this is me, again, realizing that what I'm going to say feels so contradictory to my my philosophical beliefs about mental health. Mm -hmm. And maybe like this is the outlier to that. Maybe. You know, and it doesn't have to be, but like, this is me and this is who I am and this is where I'm at. And this is how I want to deal with my mental health. Um, but I tried it and I feel like for the first time I got to just be quiet and my brain was quiet. And it was like, is this how they live? Everybody else? Is this how it's supposed to be? No one told me it was supposed to be quiet. <laughs> I just thought it was like, like literally the world is on fire all the time in my life. And I thought that that's just how it was. And I mean, right now in the given times, like the world literally is on fire um, politically, maybe in some parts of the world. Also, there's fires. Also, there's a lot of fires. <laughs> I know. Yes. But like just in my world, it was on fire all the time. And today there was no fire. And it was it was crazy. So that's a that's a resounding advocacy for going and talking to your professional uh, mental health provider and maybe seeing if medication is, a, is the right option for you or not. Perhaps. 
Perhaps. I, but this is one of those things where, you know, I, and again, I've had one day of maybe feeling like what you could call a normal person. Okay. I like it. It's pretty good. I want to do it again. You know, would recommend feeling this way, however it is that I feel. Um, but it's just, it's, it's such an interesting thing. And I think it really highlights that there are some things that you can't think yourself out of. And I was, I was thinking myself out of it, but I was thinking myself out of it by running myself ragged and trying to give 150% all day long, every day. So let me kind of bring, bring some uh, context back to this. Um, Context. First, um, the medication for ADHD can absolutely work that fast. This is not placebo effect. Oh, this I know. This is um, this is how how rapidly it can ma- it can have an effect. And I won't go into the whole like neuropsychology or neurology of it. Um, it has to do with how th- how fast things fire and all that good stuff. Um, so this is, this ironically, is, this is, it's a stimulant, so it should work fast. <laughs> that that is the irony. But well, anyways. Um, so one that is a very typical reaction. Uh, for someone with ADHD uh, who has never been on medication and takes it for the first time, there was a noticeable shift. The other thing about it is this kind of illustrates my point of the quickest way to find out if someone has ADHD or not is you give them medication. Which does not work with, I don't know that it works with any other mental health condition other than like if you were to take Xanax for anxiety. Yes. And so, um, well, there, there's a, there's a couple, but they're on the more extreme side. Um, some of the antipsychotics, things like that can have a perf- pretty profound effect pretty quickly. Uh, I just have, I, I have one question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know the muffin man? The muffin man! The muffin man? The muffin man! But I think this is, and this is to kind of go back to like where we started talking. I was doing a lot of overcompensating. Well, I think even before you talk about overcompensating. Okay. Don't talk about overcompensating. No, we'll talk about overcompensating. Um, I'd like to call bullshit on you on the, oh, this is my first time with medication. You've been self-medicating for years. By overcompensating. And lately, uh, pre this, the past couple weeks, caffeine. Which is just another stimulant. My caffeine intake has like... It's more than doubled, and today the amount of caffeine is a normal amount, and I'm just like, oh, thank God, because I feel like my body was like, hey, that's a lot of caffeine. Yo, we're starting to not like this. So that that's the thing that when I think about you, you've been self medicating since I've since I've known you, um, and what I mean by that is oils, uh, herbs. No, no, no. That's tell me how it's different. Okay, when you go use ahead the, and explain no, how when it's you different. here's the thing. When you use the term self-medicating, that has a negative connotation to it. It can, because people will do... That sounds like, you know, the alcoholic who's self-medicating to deal with the grief, right? Like, that's not that's not the context that I operate under. If you are putting something in your body to elicit a chemical response to alleviate symptoms, you are self-medicating. Yes, now, but not all self-medicating just, is bad. Yeah. So I understand the stigma that comes with that term. Yes, I don't like the stigma. But ultimately, and and I'm a big proponent. I'm a big proponent of certain herbs. Um, again, I can't prescribe, so I'm not a prescribing provider, so I'm not telling anyone to take medications. But 
you know, I have a lot of patients and clients who are like, well, like ashwagandha or they'll take St. John's wort or they'll take. Well, um, and you did a lot of work on reservations. It's true. A lot of my training was on was on uh, reservations for indigenous people and some of the um, natural healing methods um, were, were phenomenal. Uh, we're, we're apps. And so I don't doubt the validity of that, but for years you have been kind of ch- chasing this, looking for symptom relief in maybe the wrong places. I, here's the thing. Oh my God. You do say it a lot. Oh my God. Okay. I, yes. You say it a lot. No, no, I'm trying to get my thoughts together because now I'm thinking <laughs> about how much I say certain words. Um, I've always operated under the assumption that like, yeah, I'm prone to anxiety and depression. And so I have found certain supplements, certain essential oils, like physical activity, all of that stuff helps to keep that in check to where I'm able to be a human being. I had not seriously considered the fact that there could be anything wrong other than anxiety and depression. Aside from like other stuff, someone dies, you grieve, like that's obviously a, a thing. Um, So this is the first time that my mental health has kind of that I've looked at my mental health outside of the lens of having anxiety or depression. Yeah. And if you were to have told me, oh, you probably have, you know, ADHD. Like I I was never trying to self-medicate that necessarily, not consciously. I mean, caffeine is self-medication. Which I have been aware of as I'm like, oh, I'm, that was one of the things that tipped me off. Yeah. Was the amount of caffeine I had. And my therapist was like that one day when you told me that you had anxiety at 5 PM and then you had half a Red Bull and then you felt better. That was like solidified it for me. And I was like, oh, should have known. But long story short, there were definitely things that I was doing to try to manage like anxiety and depression consciously choosing to do because I didn't want to go down the pharmaceutical route. Because I know that there's definitely aspects of the anxiety and the depression that were not necessarily because of like chemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can I can understand that the world's a very complicated place. Mm-hmm. And I live in this complicated place. I'm a very sensitive human being. It's a little sensitive chicken nugget, okay? One might even say highly sensitive. Yeah. So um where was I going with all of this? Oh yes, okay. So actually, I don't really know where I was going. So you were talking about yes, the resistance okay. to medication. No, but can I go back to... <laughs> Please. I was, if we want to use your terms, self-medicating in air quotes. There's like heavy air quotes here um, with behaviors. So to deal with the ADHD. And this is this is kind of the conclusion I came to is that I, you know, you talk about giving 100%. Yeah. I was giving 150. So this is the overcompensating All part. day every day and was getting feedback from people. You're doing too much. You're doing too much, but I had to do that much. And I don't know why I had to do that much, but I had to. Um, And so in the process of doing the trauma work, you know, emotionally you get to places where you can't give a hundred percent and that's okay. That's part of the work. And so I'm like, you know, going through the ebbs and the flows of what we're doing and we're working on things and you know, all of this stuff. And I get to a place I haven't mind ebb, where I'm sitting at 30%. I'm like, all right, this will pass. I'll, I'll get back up to what I thought was 100, actually 150. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, this will pass. This, you know, this will pass. And the emotional part passed. But my ability to go back up to 100, aka 150, did not. 
And I realized the stark difference between what I was doing was so much now that I had stopped doing it now that I couldn't do it. And that's what made me realize, oh, there's like something else here. And it's everything that I was doing was unconsciously behavioral. Yeah. And I realize that now. And I, you know, this is, I think, why the why I was able to kind of impulsively push to medicate or see if that, you know, worked was because I'm still doing the work, which means that, like, I don't even know if I can get up to a regular person 100, let alone the 150. OK. Um, and I want to still do the work. I, I need to be able to do the work, but I also need to be able to function. Yeah. And I just wasn't. I, I felt like I wasn't able to do things around the house. I wasn't able to focus on anything. I wasn't able to get the motivation to go do the things I wanted to do. And I was like, this is this is problematic because emotionally I feel okay. It wasn't like the depression, you know, that kind of sucks you in and keeps you there. It was different. So that was why I was like, okay, this this is not external things going on here. There's something internal. Thank you so much for sharing that. That um I think that's a really good a good thing that we can share with people is that um, ultimately you got to take care of your mental health. And I can wholeheartedly endorse going out and seeking professional um, input. Stay away from self-diagnosing. Stay away from self-medicating if you can. See a professional. They know what's up. But it's important, I think, too, when you're having... When you're looking for professionals, if you're in a marginalized community, <laughs> to find a professional yes. who is either in that community or is who is aware. Because I think when you're getting care, especially from somebody who can prescribe things, you know, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a psychiatrist or even maybe some psychologist. Right. You know, <laughs> or maybe a psychologist is a four less than. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what their prescribing power is. Um, in some states, we whole. can prescribe. Yeah. That's coming. But I think it's important to have people who understand that you are, if you are in these communities, you are more likely to have some of these problems as a result of being in the community. Yeah. And the, the tricky part about that, and it's, it's one of the things we need to stress is psychologists, therapists, um, social workers, psychiatrists, they are not all affirming. Um, no. Nor do the affirming ones necessarily know about what it is like to be in that community, the different struggles, how having a marginalized identity affects, you know, physical and mental health. Well, it's even worse than that. And I think about the school I went to, they took an hour, the people that work there took an hour long class and they said, oh, we're affirming. And they put rainbows up everywhere. And it's like, you are the least affirming people I know. And the fact that you think you are is scary. And it's scary because now here's these people with licenses that they don't think they can be told they're wrong. Oh, I'm the psychologist. I know if I'm affirming or not. That's bullshit. Um, out of a hundred psychologists I know, maybe there's five or six who I would genuinely, genuinely feel safe referring people to. Um, and I don't mean to, to, that to scare you. If you're listening to this and you're looking for a provider, um, if you're part of a big health network, <clears throat> If you're part of a big health network, they go to great lengths where even if they're not affirming, they follow some playbooks that make sure you're safe. Um, but even then, mental health is still there's 
here's like affirming care type right. of playbook, which I think is maybe what you're referring to. But when it comes to actually, and I can't, the, well, the terminology it, escapes me, but like, well, it's not even affirming care. It, it's, the, it's informed practices. It's, and it's the safety of being in the person's office, the person in the office, they don't have to be affirming, but they should know to use your right name. They should know to use your right pronouns. They should know to be aware that if you're in this community, maybe there's things you're not comfortable talking about with a straight cisgender provider. And I think that's where, you know, if you are talking to someone, having someone who is, you know, either in the community or aware enough to be able to understand where you're coming from. Like if my therapist at the beginning, like we've been working together for a hot minute and it's taken me a very long time to like get to the place where we can do some of the work that we're doing. But I think at the beginning, if she would have been like, oh, you should get to get tested for ADHD, I would have been like, fuck you. Like, you don't know me. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's very you. Yeah, it is. But it's like, here you are as someone who doesn't know me, doesn't know my struggle, doesn't know how I operate, doesn't know my values. Like, it takes time to understand all of that. Yeah. And to know that she comes from a place of understanding that, like, I don't want to medicate myself when I don't have to. Yeah. And that doing so, you know, is really like a specific case scenario. I think that's the kind of care that the community needs. Let me ask you another question. <clears throat> Knowing now the effects of medication, do you wish in hindsight someone said a couple years ago, hey, maybe you should check out this ADHD thing? It would have had to have been the right person. Yeah. It would have it would have had to be the right context and the right person, you know, because Again, I lived under depression and anxiety yeah. and depression and anxiety overlaps a lot with ADHD. And that's not to say that now I don't have depression and anxiety. Right. Um, and that's, I think, going to be interesting to tease through. <laughs> but it's it's so it's I mean, a lot of it is just for me, at least, because I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want anything to be wrong with me. You know, I want to be normal. I'm going to, and I, clearly I overcompensated to be normal. Okay. I was killing it. All right. Killing it. Normal was murdered. Um, I don't think that that would have made a difference, but I, I also go into it very skeptical of people who off the bat would say, Hey, do this because I know life is a lot more complicated than here's your presenting symptoms. Here's how we fix it with medication. Yeah. Okay, so with that, that is the end of this episode. Um, thanks so much for listening in. Again, if you like this, please uh, tell your friends about it. And if you don't like it, tell them anyway, because maybe they'll like it. Oh, yeah. Tell them you hate it. Tell them it's the worst podcast ever and that they definitely shouldn't listen to They're it. They're just going to hate listen to our podcast now? Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. I'll take hate listeners. Again, hate listeners. Please, I, please I listen don't, in. unless you're a listener who doesn't comment. That's fine. <laughs> Either way, this is Wildly Querious. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a good night. Thanks.